0: Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Is there about Peter's drive-in now open in Edmonton and how popular that is? You know, I could open some sort of a drive-in, drive-through type place. You know what I would give out? Just love everybody. Just love. Much healthier than hamburgers and less fattening than French fries. I would call it. Wilkie's just love drive through What do you think, Kellen? Think that would work? There's my latest business idea. I've had the, uh, we, you and I have the SLAW. We got the Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling. So far, not affected by the pandemic. And uh, I, I had that idea uh, for the, every Christmas I talk about this. I should patent this because eventually somebody's going to design it or beat me to the patent. It would be something about the size of a hockey puck like some sort of a disc. It wouldn't have to be black, I suppose. I always pictured it as black, but maybe you could get it in the color of your carpet so it would kind of blend in and it would would project a hologram of a Christmas tree, right? So you wouldn't have to set up your tree every year and worry about moving furniture around. Or if you were thinking, oh man, the tree might actually look better over here, or we're gonna have company we wanna display it a little differently. You just move the the hologram, the puck that shoots out the hologram and you set that up. So now these are my three entrepreneurial ideas. So I'm setting myself up for a successful second career as an entrepreneur once I'm done in broadcasting. And that could be in about 53 minutes at eight o'clock, depending on how the show goes. So we got the slot, Helen. That's you and me. That's a joint venture. Uh, we got the, uh, the hologram Christmas tree. And uh, now we got – I forgot the title already. Wilkie's Drive-In of Love? That sounds pretty good.
1: Wilkie's Love-In. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text – Uh, Brian has already texted. He says, Reed yesterday, Bob Stauffer mentioned on his show that NHL players practice on practice rinks. Why not use the NHL arena to practice on? I suppose in some venues, the ice might not be in due to concerts and the NBA, et cetera. But is there another reason? Uh, Well, that is the reason that uh, some facilities are used so often. Staples center MSG come to mind off the top of my head, anything with a dual venue, um, Yeah, that was uh, that that would be why, Brian. So and sometimes the Oilers will use the downtown community arena when there is set up for a concert going on at Rogers Place. So that is exactly why. And to tie that into why the proximity of the downtown community arena to Rogers Place would benefit Edmonton if they were selected as a centralized site to finish the NHL season. It's because teams could stay downtown, and then you're in, once you're in the building, you either go to the big rink to play the game or the other rink to practice. So, anyway, that's how that would work. Thanks for jumping on the text line right, right away there, Brian. Exciting news today for Sherwood Parks, Chuba Hubbard, the grad of Bev Facey High School. He turns 21 in June in just over a month. He has been voted the top Canadian in NCAA football winning the John Cornish Trophy. I jumped on a conference call with Hubbard today and he was talking about how much life has changed since he left Bev Facey three years ago.
2: When I look back and reflect, I kind of see like you don't really pay attention to a lot of that stuff, but then when you look back and reflect, you're like dang, like my life has really changed. People view me you know a different way so it kind of humbles you in a way kind of you kind of look at yourself and say well you have to hold yourself to a higher standard and stuff now and you know you have kids that look up to you so I was once in that position so now you know I understand it now so I mean it's a humbling thing but like I said I don't really try to pay attention to that I just I'm a regular person I'm just like y'all I just play football so
0: Harvard, an outstanding talent Led U.S. college football with almost 2,100 yards rushing. He was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. He was unanimous All-American. Just an absolutely outstanding season. So he could have entered last month's NFL draft. Instead, he decided to return to Oklahoma State for his sophomore season, and he tells you why.
2: I mean, I just honestly felt that, you know, one, I wanted my degree. Two, I felt that I could, you know, get a lot better on the field. And three, I felt like I could mature off the field just as a, as a human being. So like I said, there's a lot of things that factor into it. I mean, obviously when you look at you know the statistics and all that stuff with running backs going in the second first and all that stuff, that all matters too. But the biggest thing for me was really just, I wanted my degree. I kind of wanted to grow as a person.
0: So Hubbard and and we'll see what happens with him next because the NCAA football season could be shortened, delayed, might even be, I mean, it's, everything's possible to, right now, but it could even be played in the spring. So maybe it even could overlap with the NFL draft itself. And maybe if that happens, Hubbard would then Hubbard would then decide not to play in that season. But a special talent right out of Sherwood Park, and we're going to talk to his former high school coach, Curtis Martin, later on on the show this evening. But uh, a very talented young man, he got to drop the puck as an Oilers game. I was talking to somebody with the uh, o- Oilers organization earlier today about Hubbard. And he so he went to an Oilers game just before Christmas and got to go into the dressing room and meet some of the players. And I, and I guess Hubbard was a little bit awestruck and, and said to McDavid or one of the stars, he's like, oh, man, I, I watch you on TV. And McDavid was like. Well, yeah, man, Like we watch you on TV. Like We're pretty thrilled to be meeting you as well. So that was a pretty cool moment for Hubbard. Speaking of football, the Canadian Football League Commissioner, Randy Ambrosi is going to testify before a House of Commons committee on finance on Thursday, going to be by a video conference, this coming after last week's news that the CFL asking the Canadian government For up to $150 million in financial assistance. Now, he's Ambrosia actually part of a panel on arts, culture, sports, and charitable organizations. So we'll see what happens in the next step with this for the CFL. The Australian Open, the Grand Slam tennis tournament scheduled for January of 2021, already looking at plans for how they're going to run their tournament. One option, scrapping it all together. Maybe they would just allow spectators in from Australia already with the grand slams. The French open has gone from May to September. Wimbledon called off entirely for the first time in 75 years. We had former head groundskeeper at Wimbledon, Grant Canton on the show about a month ago when that news broke, of course yeah, he's uh, from Stony Plain and now again living in that region. And uh, as for the U S open, they're likely going to make a decision next month. Now some leagues are coming back. Looks like the, uh, Top two divisions in German soccer will come back and uh, try to finish their seasons. The earliest that they will be allowed to play is May 16th. When they suspended on March 13th, the clubs had said they wanted to come back and try to finish the season by the end of June. So it's looking good that they are going to be able to do that. James texting into the show, he says, Reed, you wouldn't make any money on your drive through You can never put a price on love. It's a good point, James. James, always a very wise texter. Hey, always love talking to this guy. When we get back, you'll hear from a guy who played 17 years in the National Hockey League, the one and only Scott Hartnell. a pleasure to catch up with this gentleman a 17 year career now an analyst with the nhl network it is the one and only scott hartnell scott welcome back to inside sports how are you doing i'm great reed how are you doing i'm doing very well it's interesting how time passes i don't want to say time flies because that's a bit of a cliche but uh 20 years ago this summer Uh, You were drafted and 20 years ago in March, I started working in Lloyd Minster. So we would have met somewhere (laughs) probably uh, in this time frame and done a couple of interviews and we're still talking to each other two decades later. So that's pretty
1: cool, I think. Yeah, no, I remember, uh, you know, a few interviews, you know, before the draft, uh, you know, right around my high school graduations after the draft when I got back to Lloyd and was training. And um, yeah, so we've known each other. uh, Yeah, like you said, 20 years. So what what do you
0: remember about your your draft summer? I mean, obviously you were uh, a pretty highly ranked prospect. You wound up going 6th overall to Nashville. Rick DiPietro Pietro went first overall i mean i know, I know you're a competitive guy did, did you want to go as high as possible or did you just want to get picked and make the nhl
1: yeah you know it's kind of the the first i guess big step you know i went away i moved away from lloyd when i was 16 to play junior and and uh you know that was a, a whole learning lesson in life too, moving away from mom and dad's house but you know that's the uh, the draft NHL draft is the first big step of of making it to the NHL and you know it wasn't uh you know once you get drafted you're like oh i'm going to you know show up next year and make the show and you know make millions of bucks and this and that uh, it was kind of like okay it, it pushed you to the next level for training and diet and all that stuff and so it was uh um just a crazy you know you're graduating we had the the grad parties and the, the all those activities and then i had to leave for a few days to go up to the draft and you're running through different teams and interviews and and it was just kind of a whirlwind and and like you said time does fly <laughs> if you can use the cliche but but it, uh, it, it seems like it was yesterday sometimes when you sit and think about it.
0: Well, from the 2000 draft, I'm just sorting this right now, you're second in games played, you're fourth in points, and you are the penalty minute leader from the 2000 draft ahead of Steve Ott and Darcy Hordichuk. Who
1: would have thought that? <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. Well, <laughs> I guess the games played had uh, a lot to do with it, but... Uh, definitely a few fights in there a lot of minors uh, probably a few 10 minute misconducts but you know i uh, just very proud of uh, everything i accomplished uh, you know other than not winning a stanley cup uh, it was close one year but you know it's uh you know obviously it was uh, a little disappointing when you retire not having won, won that when you see your friends have done it and things like that but uh, it was a uh, definitely a fun uh, fun career
0: well, I mean, and you were valuable as a player because you couldn't just get points, but you could muck it up and you could grind and you could stand up for yourself and your teammates. You, you could agitate if you needed to. W- was there a player, too, though, that you really, like, really got under your skin or when you went up against, you were just like, God, this guy annoys me. I hope I can get a shot or two in tonight. Did you develop any personal rivalries along the way?
1: Um,. Well, Sean Avery, I guess that probably comes to mind. Just the the rivalry, uh, you know, when he was in New York, when I was in Philly, uh, you know, there's you know Max Talbot when he was a Penguin, he was an annoying guy to play against, and you could probably pick one or. Uh, at least one guy, for sure, off every team. When you're you had those rivalries that you hated. Steve Ott was, uh, you know, always a bugger to play against, and you know, always had those fun, uh, fun battles with those those guys. And you know, you see each other in the the hallway after a game. Uh, uh, you you know, you have a quick conversation. Hey, how you doing? Uh, you you leave uh, leave it all on the ice, and uh, you you know, you can have a beer or whatever after. All right. Well, that's
0: uh, that's good. Uh, I think there there're probably some rivalries that haven't been left on the ice, but, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're, you're you're from an era where I guess you, <laughs> you it was more uh, it was more you, you left it on the ice Scott Hartnell joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So, um, you, you know there's so much uncertainty with the pandemic and when the NHL might restart and there's the speculation of using a few hub cities. Edmonton's certainly at the top of the list but some players have expressed concern and ex-players as well okay wait a minute i'm gonna go somewhere and live in a hotel for a couple months and and i mean we were talking off air before we started you have a newborn like what do you think of that proposal um that that maybe teams would have to go somewhere and be there for eight to twelve weeks to finish the season would you have been comfortable of that as that as a player
1: uh it's tricky you know for for safety and for health and and all that kind of stuff i probably would say no uh you know if you look at uh, you know the dollars and cents and you know this escrow and and how the league's tied with escrow with players and you know you might lose thirty some percent it's like okay maybe we can dash in a you know 10 to 20 percent of of that mix you know without the fans and stuff but Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's not about the money. It's not about the dollars and cents. It's about, uh, you know, the safety and, you know, me personally having, you know, two young kids now, like, you know, you know, if the NHL start tomorrow and I still plan to be like, okay, Katie, we'll see, uh, see when I see if we make the playoffs, I might be gone two months. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and she can, you know, it's FaceTime's great. And, but it's, it's not the same, right? Do you want to see your little baby grow and hold, hold and help out and, you know, help with the feedings and things like that. I do personally, some people (laughs) might say, okay, see you later honey, (laughs) and uh, be gone. But you know, it's, it's, it's for me, it's, you know, a man should be with his family and I, uh, you know, obviously care about them uh, a great deal. So it's tricky and there's so many moving parts, how you do it, how you, how you do it safely. You know, who says the cooks and, and the people serving you food, uh, what do they do when they go home, right? Are they being safe? So it's, it's just a real tricky uh, um, thing. Everybody has to think about.
0: Yeah. There, there, there's a lot to consider. And I know the NHL is working hard. I just wonder if we're maybe looking at a fall finish and then a slightly abbreviated next season. Uh, uh, I don't know, but man, that would, to me, that would, that would be so strange because you could have playoffs and a short off season and then, and then you're right back into it. Right. I mean, nobody, nobody's body, no NHL players body is on the clock that they're
1: being asked to be on right now. You know what I mean? (laughs) You no, know, I know. Well, especially if, you know, this, these couple of months we've been off and, you know, say there's a couple week uh, training camp and then you say you, they do finish the season. It's like teams are going like a bat at a heck to make the playoffs and, and trying, cause those races are so tight. It seems like forever ago, we were talking about, you know, one, one win and one loss. You're, you're out by two, by two teams and you're in by two teams. And, and it was just a, it was going to be a, an awesome, awesome finish, but You know, it's not in the cards right now to to finish it off like that. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, everyone's missing sports. Everyone, you know, is is begging for something to watch on TV. And and there's nothing better than watching playoff hockey. So, you know, uh, deep down you want it to happen. You just want it to happen safely.
0: I want to get your, your, your take on something Oilers-related, and obviously they were in a really good position to make the playoffs. I mean, you can look at all those sites. It was 95% or higher. They'd been on a really good run, really, since New Year's Eve. The special team, Scott, incredible for the Oilers this season. Power play, one of the best of all time. Penalty kill completely turned around. Now, you've been there in seven-game series where you're dissecting the other opponent constantly, your coaches are giving you information, would have, you know, as, as the Oilers would have gotten into a playoff series with those great special teams, would have that been, you know, the next challenge? Because we know they weren't great five-on-five. Five. So when coaches are breaking down your special teams night after night, could have that been a detriment to the Oilers' special teams in a seven-game series? Or do you think, especially with the power play, they just had so much talent they probably could have overcome whatever was thrown at them.
1: Yeah. Well, you better believe that the uh, teams playing the Oilers are going to say, stay out of the blank, blank box. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, You give them an opportunity five on four or five on three. It's, you know, it's going to be in the net. You got to think like that, right? Especially in a tight game, um you know and and but how do you not take penalties when mcdavid's blown by a 100 miles an hour you know dry dry saddle's doing his thing down low protecting pucks Uh, you're gonna have to you know players are gonna hook and hold or else there's gonna be more chances five on five right so um you know i think the others uh you know as as uh as powerful as their top few guys are uh they had they have a lot more depth than they they've had in past uh, couple years and you know i think they'd be all right but yeah it's it's definitely uh, you don't want to be that guy on the other team taking a a, a dumb penalty or a, a, a hook where it doesn't even it's not even affecting the uh, goal scoring opportunity and you know it uh you know all those little things those little things in series make a, such a huge difference and you know it's uh, would have been something fun to watch all right, I'm going to throw one more
0: at you here before we go. And the, the guys who are great on the power play are pretty obvious because they pass at a high level or they shoot at a high level. Who was the best penalty killer you ever played with or against?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, Chris Bronger, probably for a defenseman, he blocked shots. He would get in the lanes. He is, you know, physical in front of the net. Uh, I know being on the power play, when Chris Pronger was uh, on the other team, and man, I got cross-checked, you know, five, six times every power play. Sometimes that by three or four you're just your back was beat up <laughs> your <laughs> the back of your legs were slashed all the hell and and uh, you, you know you you felt it after that game um you know as for a forward i would say you know mike richards was a warrior uh, he would get in the lanes uh, block pucks uh, could score goals uh, you know while killing a penalty uh, and was a real guy that uh, you know when your captain uh, of the philadelphia flyer team lays his body on the line like that he got fired up so uh, he would be my my pick
0: Okay, fun stuff. Hey, I, I know you're busy doing some other media stuff today, yeah, and uh, yeah. I know you're uh, working hard being a dad and doing all the broadcasting. It's uh, it's always great to catch up with you, Scott. We'll do this again down the road, man. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks so much.
1: Take care. See ya.
0: Oh, always love talking to that gentleman, Scott Hartnell. Broke into the league with the Nashville Predators, Philadelphia, Columbus as well throughout his 17-year career. A little more on Chuba Hubbard when we get back to Inside Sports. Thanks for tuning in. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630. Chad, the lead story of the day. Sherwood Park's Chuba Hubbard wins the John Cornish Trophy as the best Canadian in NCAA football. And, I mean, let's, we should clarify here. He wasn't just one of the best Canadians in NCAA football in 2019. He was one of the best players, period. He was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. He was eighth in Heisman Trophy voting, so an absolutely outstanding year for Chuba Hubbard, who you've got to know a lot over the last few years, but uh, some people in uh, the football community in Edmonton and area have uh, known Hubbard for longer than that, and we're going to bring in one of those gentlemen tonight. He used to coach Chuba at Bev Facey High School in Sherwood Park. It is Curtis Martin on the show. Curtis, you're on with Reed. Thanks for checking in. It's nice to talk to you.
3: Yeah, my pleasure, man.
0: No, I got to bring something up here, though, before I I dive into the Hubbard stuff. Uh, When I went to Nate, and this was uh, 98, 99, I was there. my, My two best friends while I was going to school there were both from Sherwood Park. And one went to Sal and one went to Facey. Now, they both played football. One was a little older than the other, so they didn't overlap. But my God, Curtis, they used to chirp each other uh, all the time and could remember every play from every game they played. like Is that one of the hottest rivalries in, in the Edmonton region is Facey wow. and Sal?
3: Uh, you know, in the 15 years I was involved with Facey uh, football, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the games that was. Uh, you didn't need any motivation to get up for, it, for sure. Uh yeah. the whole whole community talks about it. A whole community shows up when the two play each other. No, would they play each other once a year or twice? Uh, well, it depends on the league structure, but uh, usually regular season, and then we get lucky to meet them up again in the playoffs.
0: Okay, yeah, they they man, they, they, there was uh, there was no loss of animosity in that. So, uh, 15 years at at, uh, at facing what it was, what, seven years you were the head coach. Uh, yeah,
3: something like that. Yeah, it uh, kind of went by in a flash.
0: Okay. So, I mean, you coach uh, Chuba when he was there, and that's when I first started hearing from him as, as someone who, uh, who does a talk show in Edmonton. What, what, do you remember the first time you ever talked to Chuba or saw him play? What was that introduction like?
3: Uh, well it's it's funny because like the, the misnomer is that you know we spent all this time talking with chuba before he ever arrived at facey I got to watch him play when he played for the Sher Park Rams and the minor systems you know numerous times but the first time I ever actually got to talk to him was the day that his mom brought him in for the first day of Spring Camp up until that point we had no idea he was coming to facey
0: Oh, really? Okay. So it it, it wasn't a big recruiting drive by you and your staff or anything?
3: I mean, absolutely. We did everything we could to, like, you know, showcase why the school would be the right fit for him. But we never actually got a chance to talk to him or his family. Um, It wasn't until, uh, like I said, he showed up for the first day of spring camp. My mom walked him in the department office and said, you know, here's my son. We need gear. Let's get this going. And it was like, oh, he is coming here. You know, we'd heard rumors, but. No, it was, uh, you know, obviously not the uh, introduction I would have liked, but uh, we were very happy that he uh, made the decision he made.
0: So when you saw him playing for the Short Park Rams, and I guess he would have been 13-14, how special was he already? Was it was it that obvious?
3: You knew he was good. Like, he he was fast. He was talented. I mean, he was really, really raw. He had only played football for a couple of years. He was mostly a track guy at that point. Um, But, you know, he... he You could tell there was definitely something special about him. It just was, didn't know which direction he was going to go with, whether it was going to be track or football.
0: Was it obvious to you that he had to be a a running back or were there ever other positions that you considered?
3: Uh, Well, he played both sides of the ball for us. He played uh, corner for us in big games where we wanted to lock down the other team's best player because he was just that fast. Uh, We played him at safety in games where we just needed to cover sideline to sideline and bail us out a little bit. And then he played all over the offense as well. But I mean, running back was his primary love, um, where he wanted to showcase himself. And uh, obviously, we we tailored things to to suit what he did.
0: Yeah, well, he obviously stood out there. So, so I mean, was he a starter right from the first game in grade ten? Was he that
3: good? Uh, Well, we don't like to we didn't like to let uh, you know our young guys out of the gate so quickly because obviously uh, we want them to be comfortable and get going. And then just the jump from Bantam to to senior ball, I mean, his body was, I mean, he was fast, but he wasn't thick. Um, And just taking that contact with the amount of carries that he would have gotten as our feature back as a grade 10. Uh, Out of the gate, we didn't start him, but I mean, by mid-first quarter, first game, it was like, this is our guy that we need to feed. And then it became more of a conversation of how do we protect him so he's not carrying the ball 30 times a game as a freshman.
0: Right. So was it, how did he fit in? Because, you know, you know what the high school structure is like. The, the kids wait to, the, the boys wait to get to grade 12 when they can be the big men on campus and, and be the stars and run the show. Uh, was there any, you know, issues with him and, and getting that playing time with the older guys? Or was it just that obvious he had to be the guy getting the ball?
3: Well, you know what? It, it's Chuba's character and it's Chuba's uh, pattern of work ethic that I think really set him apart from day one. Um, Like, he came in to compete. He didn't back down from anything uh, right out of the gate. I think the vets really respected that. But it wasn't until we were starting to prep for the season when, you know, film study and those kind of pieces come down where Chuba was, you know, one of the first guys in the meeting room and had watched, you know, everything we had sent out for film breakdown and analysis and stuff. And it was then, like, our veteran crew really started noticing, you know, hey, this guy's serious and he's doing the work. So, you know, they started to gravitate towards him. And, I mean, it didn't hurt that he had... A really, really good crew of freshmen coming in with them because that Rams team the year before was loaded uh, with guys that all went and up going CIS after they graduated from high school too. Like Chuba was one of 14 guys from his grad class that signed a CIS or NCAA scholarship, so it wasn't like he was uh, you know the only talented guy in the room. But all those guys did work and all those guys were ready to compete. So our vets were very open to accepting uh, that group and especially Chuba into bigger roles than maybe they would any other year with any other freshman.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's it. And I'm glad you brought that up about how strong his, his class was. And for you as a, as a, and I mean, look, like, like high school sports is the ultimate, where are we in the cycle, right? Like you, you, you could be Vince Lombardi. And if, you, if if it's a year where you guys aren't that fast or can't catch or can't tackle, you're not going to win a lot of games. So as a coach, you know, how, was it different for you coaching a more talented crew than, than maybe some other years? Did you have to do anything differently?
3: Uh, well, you know, every, every year is a different challenge. I mean, Chuba in grade 10, how we had to had approach working with him versus Chuba in grade 12 was very different, um, just just as the, the nature of what he needs and when he needs it and you know, what the program needed and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, Facey's been really blessed to have a lot of talent uh, over the last, you know, 16, 17 years. I mean, I know things aren't going great right now just because it's at the bottom of the cycle right now as they're rebuilding, but... Um, you know, for the most part, you know, we've had many, many, many talented athletes come through that have gone on to do great things at CIS and, you know, CFL and that kind of stuff. So we were used to dealing with those kind of high profile athletes, but Chuba kind of blew all that out of the water, especially his grade 11 year when, you know, he set the the provincial rushing record and, um, you know, obviously the NCAA offer started to pour in around February. So it became a very different uh, kettle of fish for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, Curtis Martin joining us tonight on Inside Sports. He used to coach Chuba Hubbard at Beth Facey High School in Sherwood Park, and he's telling you about uh, Chuba's uh, career there. So you, I mean, you, you got a guy that can rack up all this yardage. How conscious did you have to be of still spreading the ball around, keeping other people involved? And I, I assume if you were way ahead, maybe he didn't play the entire game.
3: We all, unfortunately, for Chuba. I mean, his great eleven-year. He had four games where he only touched the ball 10 times and yet still had 250 or 300 yards of offense and, you know, three or four or five touchdowns in those kind of games. So like his stats in grade 11 blew the record book out of the water and he barely touched the ball. Like by mid-second quarter, he was getting shut down in most games because we're up by, you know, five or six touchdowns at that point. Um, but even in tight games, like we played Henry Wisewood from Calgary in an exhibition match and that turned into a big street fight. And obviously our rivalry was Sal. Um, and st francis and some of the big dogs down south notre dame etc um in those games too he one of the first guys from the sideline and say hey we need to get this guy the ball because he's going to take pressure off me or you know hey like can we run more of this that will highlight someone else because it's going to open me up again like he was very cognitively aware of how to get himself free and how to get his other guys involved because it was going to help him in the team in the long run he was a very team first guy um i think most people assume that being that good, he'd be very arrogant and very egotistical. Chuba was the absolute opposite of that. I have never met and worked with a young man who was that talented, yet so humble and so team-first and more worried about how his teammates were doing and how they were feeling than any of his own personal accolades.
0: Well, whenever I've I've dealt with him, he's he's been very humble and uh, and very modest. And I don't know if you heard the the story I told off the top. I was talking to somebody in the Oilers organization today who was helping take Chuba around when he went to that Oilers game before Christmas, and he got to meet McDavid and dry Settle and all those guys. And Chuba was kind of starstruck and kind of stuttered. Oh yeah. I, I watch you guys on TV all the time. And McDavid and the other stars are like, yeah, man, like we watch you on TV.
3: Like you're, you're a pretty big deal too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's, you know, if that's actually sunk. I mean, with all the Heisman and uh, the Doak and, you know, the, the Cornish awards and all that kind of stuff, I, I still don't think it's sunk in for him how, how talented and big he is. Um like you just listen to him in any interview, and it's it's the same boy I talked to the first day in grade ten, talking in front of the national media, you know, at their bowl game. Like he just he's so down to earth. His, his mom and dad have done such an amazing job in instilling those values in him that uh, you know the sky's the limit for him. Just simply because he's a great guy.
0: So when NCAA teams start uh, approaching you. What do, they, what do they want to know? I mean, they're obviously asking for more than just uh, some game tape to be emailed to them. What, what are they asking his high school coach about him?
3: Well, I mean, when Chuba was getting recruited, his family kind of asked me to lend a larger hand and help sifting through the you know, the serious offers from the pretenders and stuff, and just academically, the supports that needed to be in place to help Chuba get where he needed to go, just because the transition from Canadian um, academics to American academics with what they deem eligible or not is is quite bizarre um so it kind of became a bit of a rubik's cube to to navigate but i mean their coaches he's a canadian track kid is what they thought so I mean, he can't be tough and he must not be this and you know he must just be a track guy and he's always in your right and it's like well no actually he's you know hasn't missed a step he has never missed a practice um he's the first guy in the door for team lists. he's the last guy out you know like so a lot of it was just dispelling the the Canadian football mythos that a lot of Americans have of what kind of quality of ball is being played up here. Um, they, I mean, a lot of them had a tough time believing that he, he wasn't American. Like, well, he must be an American. He's living in Canada because he's that talented. It's like, no, he's Canadian. Like, he's you know, like, like this is who he is. But uh, you know, a lot of that. I mean, obviously, the academic piece. The uh, you know, what kind of person he is. He. Um, teammates etc that kind of stuff like they do a lot of background checking and and digging and because like his his social media profile was so clean and you talk to him he comes across as so down to earth and humble like their suspicions were almost higher as a result like okay what's this kid hiding like what's the real story and i mean any coach that actually sat down and met with them and met with the family they're like oh that he is exactly as he advertises himself um and i think the real offers really took off after that
0: I'm going to ask you the uh, ultimate question that's just going to make it sound like we're we're sitting on a couple of bar stools somewhere having this chat. So he leads the NCAA in rushing. How, how is he only eighth in the Heisman Trophy voting? And I know there's a lot of great players at that level, but I was thinking, like, wh- what do you have to do, rush for 3,000 yards to even crack the top five? I don't know.
3: Well, you know, there's that uh, suspicious side of me that goes, well, he's Canadian, so they looked for other Americans to, you know, Whatever I think, honestly, Oklahoma State's a great program, but they're not. They weren't a the top ten program last year. And I think, as much as these are individual awards, you look at the guys that uh, ranked higher by the judges and whatever, and they're all from big. They're all from bigger schools that finished in the top five, top eight. You know, making the college football playoffs seem to matter to the individual awards. Playing in, you know, bigger conferences seem to matter a little bit more. You know, the SEC bias and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a, it's a bunch of things. I mean, was Chuba better than the other two running backs that finished ahead of him in the dole court? I think so. Statistically, it says so. But,
1: mm.
3: you know, they you know one played at Wisconsin and one played at Ohio State, and that seemed to matter more. So, you know, I'm sure I'm sure it's frustrating for, for Chuba to have to constantly prove himself, but I think that also helps fuel his fire that, uh, you know, he's still got work to do despite having arrived on the mountaintop. And I think that's a good thing for him moving on to the NFL. You know, if he moves on a year from now or whatever happens, uh, him being humble and pissed off when it comes to competing is uh, a very good thing for whatever franchise or whatever club works with him.
0: Yeah, and, and I wonder too, Curtis, and I think I was mentioned today on the conference call, he's the the second ranked running back in the in the current ratings for the 2021 draft so, you know, I mean, they like to look ahead with that kind of stuff. We yeah. do it in hockey all the time too but I wonder when he gets to the NFL do you think I, mean, I know I'm totally asking him to speculate but you know him as well as anybody. Is he going to be a uh, 17 carry 2 reception running back or do you think he'd be more one of those 7 carries 7 reception per game running backs once he gets used at that level
3: Well honestly I think it's going to depend on what kind of team it takes him at this time I mean even, even Baltimore that led the NFL in rushing and I mean, they, they have two stud tail, or three stud tailbacks, and they went and drafted another great, a great one this year too. So I think there seems to be a huge mindset of, of spreading the ball around to do whatever it is offensively they want to do, whether that's throwing the ball or, or running the ball or whatever. So a guy in the right situation Chuba physically I think would be more than fine with a 15-plus carry you know, outing. I think he can be that kind of guy, um, but I don't know if he's ever going to have to be. And career wise, I don't think that's a bad thing because it will, you know, longevity wise, you know, the less he touches the ball, you know, in terms of meaningful carries and stuff, I think the longer his career will be and the longer he'll end up staying in the league.
0: Well, you make a great point because there's been so many great running backs. You look. And they had about a, a three year peak, and then two years after that, they were out of the game at twenty eight or twenty nine because of injuries, right? So, that's that, that's that's a really good point. So teams are trying to prolong what they get out of their players. Well, uh, you were a big part of the early steps in the in the journey, Curtis. We 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 will give you most of the credit tonight on Inside Sports. How's that sound? <laughs> uh, I think you need to give that the moment, and Dad. I had nothing to do with making Chuba. I just coached him. Well, you did a great job, and you gave us some great insight tonight. We'll have to catch up again, Curtis. Thanks for making time for us tonight on the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. That is Curtis Martin, former coach at Bev Facey, and uh, he was there when Chuba Hubbard was there running back. Really good really good discussion there about his uh, days in high school, and you could see it in grade 10, not just the talent, but the work ethic, the being a solid teammate, all that kind of stuff, really strong. We're coming up to 10 to 8. We're going to take a quick timeout. You've heard from Scott Hartnell, you've heard from Curtis Martin, who coached Chuba Hubbard in high school at Bev Facey, the kid from Sherwood Park winning the John Cornish trophy as the top Canadian player in NCAA football. We had some clips from Chuba off the top of the show, and you can read more on 630ched.com, globalnews.ca. A bit of a mini virtual reunion today. For some members of the Oilers' 2006 team that went all the way to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final before being beaten by the Carolina Hurricanes, a conference call with Dwayne Roloson, Jarrett Stoll, and Ethan Morrow. And Ethan Morrow reflected on San Jose Sharks coach Ron Wilson and their second-round series against the Sharks.
4: So Wilson was making some comments like, um, I think, basically, that... Um, I forget exactly what it was. It was basically we, we weren't in the same league and um, San Jose was going to be fine. They were a very good team. They were right behind uh, Detroit. And then I remember on the plane going back to Edmonton and we were down 2-0. And there was absolutely zero amount of um, anxiety. We, and maybe it was just me. I don't know. But we weren't worried about a thing where we're like, there was no chance that team is going to beat us at home. And we were playing cards, doing our usual thing. We, to a man, and it just, just shows you about belief and how your brain can, can get you very far in life. We, we knew that at least it was going to be 2-2. Like we just knew that. And we go back to Edmonton, um, mind you, I think it was triple overtime where Rafi scores. But then after that, we just blow them out. Not even close. And their coach at the time was, you know, we're fine. We're going to be OK. And then we just destroyed them. I think the last three games was 20 to 5 or 20 to 6. So we had this unbelievable confidence that I think was just um, kind of growing during the, 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 the Detroit series. And then into San Jose, um, there's not too many teams that go down. Two games to guys like Joe Thornton and, and and the type of team that they had, and we had. There was no doubt that we were going to win that series. So for me, that really sticks out, and how strong we were, and how confident we were, and we had that kind of that, that swagger, a little bit of cockiness that um, we were the best team, and I think that carried through. And the unfortunate thing is that 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 cockiness and that swagger was kind of taken away a little bit when Rolly got hurt. Um, but hey, that's hockey.
0: You know, I've I've heard that sort of sentiment before from players on that team and people around that 06 team. Down two nothing to San Jose, no panic, no doubt that they were going to win the series. They knew exactly what to do. And granted, it was dicey in game three. They almost lost that one and went down three games to nothing, but pretty much in control after that. And then a fairly uh, dominant series over the Anaheim Ducks, and we all know what happened in the Stanley Cup final. But it was interesting to see. I mean, look, we still hear the stories from 2006. I've interviewed several players off that team individually. It was neat to hear them all together, even though it was all through Zoom, a computer chat, and they were all in their own homes. You could still sense the camaraderie and how much they enjoyed being teamed mates of course it ended with the game seven loss and then within a week chris pronger made it public he wanted out of edmonton Jarrett
4: stole on that news well myself personally it was it was a surprise and a shock to me i had no idea what was what was going on or if things were going on so no i didn't know anything and uh, definitely a shock and yeah he's he's one of your best players and you know a guy that is in every situation, dominates every situation. And, you know, we were a tough team to play against. I think we were a really hard team to play against, especially coming into our building. And, and Prongs was a huge part of that. So to lose him, uh, yeah, it hurt. It definitely hurt. It's, uh, you know, it's I think it's common sense. You lose your best player and uh, it's going to take a hit throughout your locker room, throughout your team. And unfortunately, it did that for us.
0: All right, Stoll, Morrow, and Rolison on a conference call provided by the Oilers today. It was really cool to, uh, to catch up with those guys and hear them all together. All right, we're winding down. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy's your studio producer this evening. Tomorrow, we're going to catch up with author Sean Fitzgerald, He put out that excellent book a few months ago before the lights go out about the state of hockey in Canada. It's uh, garnered a lot of notice and he's uh, up for an award as a result. And Sean's always very entertaining to talk to. We're working on another what I would call very special guest and very unique guest uh, related to the history of the Edmonton Oilers, but not a player, coach, or GM. And somebody who actually was more famous in another field as opposed to just his involvement with the Oilers. You may be able to figure out who who that is. It's not 100% confirmed, but we think we're going to get this individual on, and that'll be a lot of fun. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 7. Take care.
2: 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.